Hey Eggers, it's Shara. And Diane. And welcome to our ninth Egg Factory episode. Yeah, this is the ninth of 12 episodes for our first season, and thank you so much for those of you who've stuck around despite the long breaks. We've got (laughs) a good one for you. This week, we interview Sarah Richardson. She is a postdoc fellow, computational biologist in Oakland, and she studies bacteria, but also does a ton of amazing outreach work. She really loves doing outreach because she likes to show students that a scientist is not just a white dude in glasses. It can be an African-American woman who loves to program and study bacteria. So in this episode, you will learn a tiny bit of biology, but it won't, you won't even know you're learning it because it's so fun to listen to Sarah talk about it. She also gives an amazing definition of what science should be that I, as a scientist, really appreciated and hope you guys will appreciate too, and kind of what her experience of being a scientist has been like. Uh, it's very unique. Yeah. And we really enjoy talking to her and do think this is a great episode, so enjoy. So now what I do is specialize in weird bacteria. And a lot of it is still my career goal is to be more proficient in more of them physically. But I know a lot about bacteria. And what I am interested in and inspired by is the fact that bacteria inhabit every niche on the planet, that the mass of bacteria on the planet is equal to the mass of plants on the planet. And that for every one of our human cells, we have 10 bacterial cells in our body. Bacteria, fungus, other things, basically 10 non-human cells. And they love and help us make poop. That's, I mean, (laughs) there's no, basically when I go into a classroom and I say, what do you guys know about bacteria? Mostly what I get is, ew, gross, they make you sick. And then I get to segue into how you are a walking bacteria factory that we're basically spaceships and the bacteria are the astronauts. That there's not bacteria on this table surface. It's not like thriving there or anything. If it's left sitting there by someone, it's waiting to get picked up by a passing spaceship. Mm-hmm. Right, and then taken to water and food, and that poop is such a great and robust example of this. One, it's kind of dirty, so the students love it when I make poop jokes or talk about poop. They all get to giggle and release some tension, and I'm not so aloft and scary anymore. But two, it really is true. You can tell the the health of your microbiota by how solid your poo is. Uh, like you guys have nice solid poops. Lately, not in the past yeah. couple of no. weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's you. You got you got to get some probiotics in there. You got to address your diet and feed your microbes. Mm. That's most of it. And poop transplants now are this huge thing that's happening yes. where people are treating all kinds of diseases by moving microbiota from place to place, from person to person. And they call it a poop transplant. It's not exactly poo, but it's the same idea. It's that your microflora have gotten, and they are an organ. All of those. 10 to 1 cells that are bacteria, they're one of your organs and their their health is important. And that the number of bacteria on the planet is so staggering. If you take uh, some sand from the desert, you see a lot of cells, but they're not, you can't grow them. If you take the same amount of poop, you see a lot of cells and you can grow them all. They love poop. It's just, it's just so <laughs> bacteria love poop. I love bacteria. I love talking to you about science because I am a science journalist and I have to talk to a lot of scientists and I understand so much more when you explain it because you like bring it to my level and like make it interesting. Look, science is two things. And I think people always forget the second one. The first one is to find something out that nobody else knew. 
or to find a new way to get to where it is that we don't know things. The second one is to take that knowledge and bring it back and make it digestible. Because if you don't, somebody else has to go do the science again. And you can learn something for yourself, but if you didn't leave a block that civilization can advance on, a step that they can make, then you might as well have just jerked off into a journal. <laughs> it just, it's meaningless. So yeah, I work really hard to make sure that the people I talk to get what I'm trying to do because then they know more and we as a civilization do more. And it's just, it's bizarre to me that people won't do that because we'll make progress so much faster when everyone's on our side. And also my undergraduate tuition was subsidized by the government. My graduate school was paid for entirely by the government. And I work for a government lab. I owe the taxpayers my existence and the privilege of knowing these things and applying them for the taxpayers. If people who pay taxes are like, why do we pay for science? I don't get a job and we don't make progress as fast. So yeah, I want the taxpayer to know what we do and I want them to be like, that was so cool. And I want to pay for her to keep doing it. Yeah. And it like makes it so much easier to just like tell other people and be like, oh, I really understood this concept that the scientists talked about. And, and now I can spread and I can spread yes. it accurately, yep. not inaccurately because <laughs> I didn't understand. What it right. A good analogy that holds up on multiple levels is like gold where I am. Ugh. It actually convinces people who I could explain it at a technical level. And they're so smart and they have PhDs and all these accolades. But if I get that good analogy, mm -hmm. that works on everybody. I love the two things of science. No one has ever told me that before. That's why we need the science journalists. We need them on yeah. our side to like not sensationalize the things that shouldn't be sensationalized. That's a feedback loop that's really damaging science is look what I did and what you did really did doesn't apply mm -hmm. to the cured scientists have cured cancer. How many times has that happened? Mm -hmm. Like what they really did was express a protein in a plate, but like it could eventually turn into a treatment for cancer. And that's what we focus on. 99% mm -hmm. of science is failure. And one of the things I've been telling the kids where I am here is embrace that failure, you know, do the dune thing, let it flow through you, <laughs> <laughs> become one with it. Because if you don't embrace the failure and examine it, you don't learn anything. You don't, we don't make progress until you build on the failures. And I love that movie, big hero six. Oh, I finally watched it. It, it. One, it had Asian protagonists. And two, it had that scene where it showed how often the older brother had failed making that robot. Mm -hmm. How yeah, many takes oh, it took. It wasn't just like, I'm a genius and my first try worked. Yeah. It's like, this was work. This was love and dedication he put into it. And it was an acceptance that it wouldn't be right the first time. And to show that, oh, everything we try works, that's doing us a real disservice. I, I, when I ask the kids, you know, what does a scientist look like? They go, it's a white guy with lab coats, glasses, and no social skills. And I'm like, Haha, <laughs> yeah, that's what Hollywood says. And then I realize, I think some of my colleagues, not, I mean, I'm not hating on them, but I think some of them think that's what a scientist looks like too. So when they look at each other or they look at their advisors and yeah, it's a, a white guy with a lab coat and glasses and no social skills. And they're like, yes, confirmed <laughs> scientist. Mm -hmm. I've only got the glasses. I like to think that I have social skills. <laughs> I, I like to think that I can be charming and to fit in where I am. And, and I'm definitely not a white guy. So I don't immediately trigger that sense of a trainee or a scientist to these mm -hmm. guys. So what I have to do is do the footwork and be twice as right twice as often and to convince people grassroots style so that when I say this is what we should do and they're like, uh, 
the people I've convinced go, yeah, yeah, we should do that. And they go, okay. Mm. And it's not my favorite way to work, but it's what I have to do until I get more power. Get the power. I once I went to Capitol Hill as part of a group that was going to explain National Lab Science to Congress, and uh, they were prepping us because they had to prep the hell out of us, right? And they're like, "Hey, you know, they don't really expect the scientists to look good, so just <laughs> ladies try and look nice. And guys, you'll probably feel out of place if you're not wearing a jacket." And they insulted me so much, I went out and bought two suits. And I was glad I did. I forgot to have the suits hemmed. I'm super tall, like a 34 inch inseam. It's not super tall, but like I can't buy regular pants. Yeah. And I never hem them, so I'm sure I still look like I only put a suit on once a year. But everyone in DC wears a freaking suit. They wear like designer dresses. I was actually kind of mad at our media prep team. I was like, you don't tell us, oh, they're your scientists, you can look sloppy. I guess we're supposed to play the part of, I don't know how hygiene works because I'm so brilliant. Yeah. yeah, hygiene or social context. I guess that's part of the you don't have social skills thing. Mm-hmm. You dress appropriately to where you're going. And smart people understand that. We're yeah. not like Big Bang Theory up in here. I hate that show. Yeah. I wonder who, like, there must be a reason why the science stereotype is perpetuated despite reality. Like, who is benefiting from putting why down a scientist? Why are any stereotypes perpetuated besides reality? I don't yeah. know. I think some of the guys who are, they relish i heard something about mit kind of purposely cultivating this sense because it does let you be an asshole the scientists are they're like oh they're super smart you can get the same thing with ceos like oh you can be a dick to people because you make bank yeah and then the stereotype is oh you're you you know you basically people with power or any kind of privilege they can abuse it and i i think that's a lot of what's going on yeah. It just suits the people at the top to be like, oh, I don't have to remember your birthday. Mm-hmm. Men don't do that. Do you feel more compelled to like take the time and do stuff like this because you're fighting the the status quo more? I don't feel like I can say no. My advisors keep telling me to say no, uh, to you can't do as much outreach. But when... Uh, we were talking about me coming to this conference. The guy who organizes the judges said, you're a unicorn. We don't get a, you know, a majority of women. We definitely don't get anyone of color and we don't get the mixture at all. Plus you know how to program. So you're very computer sciencey and you're a trained degreed biologist. Like it's just a combination that doesn't exist. I hope I'm not slandering the other black women, computer science biologists. Out there. <laughs> uh, so when, since I live in Oakland and I have access to Richmond and Fremont, when they say, will you come? I have to go. I have to. Those students can see all the wealth that's being generated by Silicon Valley and by the biotech boom, and they can't imagine themselves as a part of it. They can't. I When I show up, they ask me if I'm really the scientist or if I'm just you know their secretary or something. They all ask me that. They say, you don't look like a scientist. And it breaks my heart because when I ask them, what do I look like? They'll say, you look like me. Or you look mm-hmm. like a regular person. I'm their idea of a regular person, and regular people like them can't be scientists. I have to do it. I don't have a choice. Yeah. Do yeah. you get tired of being a unicorn? And are there any secret benefits? I guess the secret benefits are the affirmative action. 
like <laughs> I don't like affirmative action. It's the worst solution except for all the other solutions until you actually get back to equity. And I think somebody asked me, oh, do you enjoy doing the outreach? And I'm like, yes, but it's exhausting and, yeah. and painful. Every single time I walk into a classroom and I'm confronted with a surprised look. Like, you're not what we expected. It's a constant reminder that it's not things are not okay. And that mm -hmm. part hurts and it's exhausting. Uh, yeah, that that's not fun. But I'm trying to do it so that the women who come after me get less of that. Mm -hmm. And it is a, I, it's kind of true. I'm not trying to be a martyr, like, oh, you know, I have to, oh, I must. Because when you get to be in the position of a unicorn, you get a lot of requests too. Like, oh, can you sit on our committee or can you go here? And it's clear, it's absolutely clear that they just want to check off a box. Mm. And so what you have to weigh is letting them check off the box and having the chance to actually do something with the access that you've been given because you're a unicorn. And I do have to remind myself, I'm not a unicorn who, like, dumb-lucked herself into this position. I work, I think, I interact, I, I work. Mm. So I'm a unicorn who trotted herself into a position. <laughs> yeah. But there's not, there isn't any, like, there, it doesn't sound like there's many secret good things about it. Well, the, the... Like I, I write fellowship applications and I write damn good ones and then I get them. And I, then I have to ask myself, well, are they checking a box or was I one of the best? And then it's like, well, do the people I beat out go, oh, she's one of the best or they were checking a box. Mm -hmm. So if they were checking a box, I'm benefiting from being visible for that reason. But at the same time, having other people have the valid chance to think that they were checking a box that's not great have you ever wished that you were part of the majority just for like relaxation i have to tell you that's one of the nice things about being in baltimore baltimore is 60 percent black i spent so much time in baltimore growing up i really didn't think i'd travel so widely science has really gotten me all over the world uh when i first went to seattle and san francisco I was shocked to be in a city and not see black people. Shocked. I went to Seattle and I was like, where are there white people on the bus? <laughs> <laughs> There's white people on the bus, y'all. And my husband had moved there first and he he, uh, he was living there. I was living in Baltimore. He's like, oh, yeah, no, they, white people take the bus here. He's from Baltimore, too. So I think he had gotten over his surprise before I showed up. <laughs> so uh, there are places where I can be among... I mean, I'm still mixed race, so it's not exactly like I don't stick out in that in Baltimore. But I grew up in a black neighborhood. My all my close family that I had access to while growing up are all black. So my aunties and my cousins are all black. Uh, going home is like not being in a minority for every reason anymore. Mm -hmm. And all, but I mean, the outreach is designed. I tell them I'm very clear about it I say look I can't tell you it's all wine and roses where I am now but I need you to come join me and to look at the person next to you who's a woman to look at the person next to you who's Hispanic to look at the person next to you and think they have a brain and can contribute anything I can contribute and there's nothing special about me or them that we don't share on average with all of us and I need you men to look at the women next to you and say yes she has ideas 
and I have ideas and together we can change this. And we're, you know, I need you to come up to me with these values and to hold them now and to keep them so that then when you're standing in this position, you can say to them, Hey, it's better than it was when I got there. That's amazing. No, I never (laughs) got any of that in school. That should be in every classroom. Yeah. Well, I I think I waver between optimism and pessimism. I, I, progressives, I think, tend to get labeled as very pessimistic because we're looking at the problem and thinking how much work we still have to do. And that's what really drives society right now when people say, now we need trans rights. And the slower wing of our society goes, oh, God, why can't, why, you're, it's always something with you. But before that, people were saying we need gay rights. And the slow part of our society was going, oh, why can't they just, no, no, we don't need to do this. So there's there always going to be some exhaustion with that pushing it forward. And there's always a chance to be really pessimistic if you're doing the pushing, like, oh, this is terrible. But we do have to give ourselves credit for having moved the goalposts. We're moving them. I am a, I have a PhD now. 200 years ago, I wouldn't have even gotten through high school. Mm-hmm. I would I might not even exist or the people who made me might be in jail. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's it's getting better. So we have to keep an optimistic eye on what we've accomplished and a pessimistic eye on being complacent. So yeah, it's not great. There's not a lot of women and people don't think I'm a scientist. Hopefully that's going to get better because before and people wouldn't think people would assume I was a secretary. I don't, you know, it's, it's getting better. (laughs) (laughs) We might have to cast about for the exact reason it's getting better, but it is getting better. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. You've been listening to The Egg Factory. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode with Dr. Sarah Richardson. We learned a lot from our interview with her, including the fact that we perpetuate our own ridiculous stereotypes and ones that we were trying to fight with this very podcast, and we actually recorded it. Uh, So here it is. You can listen. Can you hear us okay? I can hear you just fine. I can hear you. Perfect. Sorry, we're always still surprised when everything works. Why are you not competent women? We're with very full competent of the modern wonders of electricity. Thank you for reminding us, Sarah. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, and if you are a scientist or somebody who wants to do more science outreach, you can Google the Office of Science Outreach for your school or a nearby university because most schools have programs and events that happen throughout the year with kids of all ages and you can totes join in and if you haven't already subscribe to our podcast on itunes or whatever podcast app you kids are using these days (laughs) check out our tumblr eggs that's using the number four not the word let us know what you think by leaving us a comment or you could be the very first person to ever email us at eggsforears at gmail.com. Uh, caveat, that's with the word for, not the number four. <laughs> we like to make it hard. <laughs> Maybe that's how I know it's emailed us. Sure. Yeah. We are looking forward to your comments. <laughs> we can't wait for the day to open our mailbox and see. Hi, Egg, you have a new message. <laughs> May today be that day. May today be that day. Thanks for listening to The Egg Factory, and we'll be back soon. Bye!